We'll begin tonight. That's loud. It's been about a month since we've been in the book of Job. Job chapter 16. I'm going to read the entire chapter, but I'm only going to look at the first part of the chapter this morning. 16 and 17 are Job's answer. He answers Eliphaz, um, and, uh, and then Bildad comes back and answers him again. But uh, we're going to look at Job's answer, and I just want to look at a few things in the beginning of this chapter. Uh, I don't think I'll get on down to Job's defense. He, he, he defends himself um, and says that my, my prayer is pure, um, and, uh, and he cries unto God. He has, has some good things in the end of the chapter, but I want to look at um, a godly friend in, in the first part of this chapter. We see the, Job's answer to them, and what he says against them is interesting to me. I, I call, we, they're known as his miserable counselors or miserable friends. And he, and he tells them that here. Verse 1 says, Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are ye all. Shall vain words have an end? Or what emboldeneth thee that thou answerest? I also could speak as ye do. If your soul were in my soul's stead, I could heap up words against you and shake mine head at you. But I would strengthen you with my mouth, and the moving of my lips should assuage your grief. Though I speak... My grief is not assuaged, and though I forbear, what am I eased? But now he hath made me weary, thou hast made desolate all my company, and thou hast filled me with wrinkles, which is a witness against me, and my leanness rising up in me beareth witness to my face. He teareth me in his wrath, who hateth me. He gnasheth upon me with his teeth. Mine enemy sharpeneth his eyes upon me. They have gaped upon me with their mouth. They have smitten me about the cheek. Reproachfully, they have gathered themselves together against me. God hath delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over into the hand of the wicked. I was at ease, but he hath broken me asunder. He hath also taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces and set me up for his mark. His archers compass me round about. He cleaveth my reins asunder and doth not spare. He poureth out all my gall upon the ground. He breaketh me with breach upon breach. He runneth upon me like a giant. I have sewed sackcloth upon my skin and defiled my horn in the dust. My face is foul with weeping, and on my eyelids is the shadow of death. Not for any injustice in my hand. Also my prayer is pure. O earth, cover not thou my blood, and let my cry have no place. Now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and my record is on high. My friends scorn me, but mine eye poureth out tears unto God." Oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleadeth for his neighbor. When a few years are come, then I shall go the way whence I shall not return. And we're going to stop right there. I, I want to look at the miserable counselors this, this evening just for a few minutes and, and compare it to how we respond in many, in many opportunities or many circumstances. Um, so many times we are like the three friends of Job. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word and the instruction that we have in it. Lord, we heard in, in, Sunday, or, yeah, in Sunday school this morning the importance of, of taking counsel from your word, having wisdom and understanding, and, and Lord, pondering the path of our feet, that, it's not, uh, that, we, that we will be um, straight in our path and, and have discernment. 
Lord, we ask for that tonight. Give us wisdom as we look into your word. Thank you for all that you've done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So just back in the first part of the chapter, the miserable counselors, Job says a couple things about them, and I, I looked at this and I thought, he's not wrong. I, I, don't, I, I still am not uh, completely settled in my mind on all of this. Job is, Job is rebuked in the back of the chapter, into the book, um, by God. God says, quit whining and be a man. <laughs> Pretty harsh, uh, but it's true. And this is the way we are many times. Um, when difficulties come, we want to justify ourselves, and we see Job doing this. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily just taking up for Job, but I, I look at this, and his friends are wrong. And what he says here, it, it hit me as I was looking at it this week, how often do we approach a circumstance the way that Eliphaz did? Eliphaz was harsh in his words. Well, he was, he was pretty blunt and cruel to Job and what he said. I was looking at it, and, and Job tells him this. He goes, you really have no understanding. Really have no understanding. He said, shall vain words have an end, verse 3, and what emboldeneth thee that thou answerest? I could also speak as ye do if your souls were in my soul's stead. I could come the way you're coming if, I, if you were in my shoes. And how often do we approach a circumstance with no understanding, and, and we make a judgment off of what we see at the beginning, and we run with it. Now, I'm guilty of this a lot. And, and the Bible calls it leaning unto our own understanding. You know, if, if, the, if the counselors would have sought God in this, but I don't see where they seek God in any point. They speak of Him. They say who He is and what He does, and they're not wrong in what they say. But they, I don't see anywhere where they ask God to show them what to do for Job. Instead, they look at him and they say, well, because of this circumstance, there's sin in your life. And they just keep on reprimanding him. So, Man, if you were in my shoes, I could come and talk to you the same way you're talking to me. This, this takes no understanding. And I, and I thought of this familiar passage in Matthew chapter 7, and we go to it a lot. The Lord takes me to it a lot because I... I, uh, I'm very good, I think, of myself that way. And uh, I, can, I can find other people's faults. <laughs> I think you need to correct this. Uh, don't we look at that? I mean, we're all pretty good at seeing the sin in someone else's life. Oh, man. That person needs to work on their anger. Man. Probably what somebody says when they see me driving. Probably should smile once in a while. <laughs> but how many times do we enter a circumstance with no understanding? And many times it is because of the sin that is in our own life. If the three counselors would have stopped and sought God first, their, their advice and their their counsel to Job would have been much more loving and kind and edifying. We know this passage, but go ahead, let's read through the first six verses. It says, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with, with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Now, we know that this doesn't mean we cannot make judgments. And, and I'm going to stop and I'm going to try to make sure I say this every time I read this, because... 
the world wants to take this out of context and say, you can't judge me and live however I want. The Bible says not to judge. Well, the Bible says sin is sin. Period. And we are told and throughout the Word of God that we are to be able to discern between good and evil. And when there's sin in the church, the Bible says to mark that man. So we're told over and over and over to make judgments. We make judgments in everything we do. You made a judgment that the pew would hold you up when you sat down. Right? That your vehicle would start when you got in it. Everything we do is a judgment. This, this is only saying that when we make a judgment about someone or something that's going on in the life, be careful to seek God in it. And be careful to approach the person having your heart purified first. Know that the way you judge them, you will be judged. And why beholdest, verse 3, Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. You know, it says if I, if I just, if I do not deal with the sin in my own life, and yet I'm going to stand and I'm going to tell you, okay, you're living in sin. Listen, I, I see a, 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 an area where your faith is not strong. I see an area where your pride is taken over. And that might be true in that person's life. But if it's greater in my life, the Bible says there's sin in your life. You're a hypocrite. You're a liar. <laughs> You're a liar. We know who the father of lies is. We know where that comes from. Christian, it is, it is a grave indictment to be called a hypocrite. We all have moments of hypocrite, I mean, hypocrisy. We all live in it from time to time. But if that is who I am, then there's a problem. And, and they come to Job and they say, you're, you're this way because of sin. Stop being proud and stop living in sin and give it over to God and these circumstances will be changed. And Job answers them and says, listen, my prayer unto God is pure. We know that Job was not punished for his sin. We know that God is testing Job. And God is also showing Satan who his man is. There's reasons behind it, not Job's sin. So they're wrong in their assessment. And they're, 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 um, it's a painful indictment. right? This is offensive to Job because he knows it's not true. We have to be so careful when trying to help someone else, that we are walking with God to begin with. He says back in our passage, but I would strengthen you with my mouth. If you were in my shoes, he goes, I wouldn't come to tear you down. I would try to lift you up. I would strengthen you with my mouth. And the moving of my lips would assuage your grief. It would, it would lessen your grief. I would try my best to take it away. It's funny that Job gives a reason for one of, the, one of the reasons God put Job in that circumstance. Job now has more understanding and compassion for those going through pain. It's something that we need to understand when God gives us 
a trial. It is that we have compassion on those who go through those things later on. When, when before I got married and before we had children, when someone would tell me about a miscarriage, I was not too compassionate toward them. It's like, well, you weren't really, you never even saw the baby. This is the thoughts of a bachelor, right? You never saw the baby, you never held it in your hands. Why are you grieving something that you never held? Now, I cannot say with full understanding that yet, because I'm not a mother. But when we went through a miscarriage, God says, you're a fool. This is a painful thing. Whether you, whether you ever thought so or not, I'm going to put you in that circumstance so you can learn something. And we went through that. And now, Lord willing, the rest of my life, I can have some understanding and some compassion in those circumstances. Not have the, uh, the attitude, oh, just suck it up and get on with your life. That was my attitude until I understood the circumstance. Job says here, I would strengthen you with my mouth and the moving of my lips should assuage your grief. I am learning something here as I go through this trial. It doesn't do me much good to have you come over here and tell me where I'm at. You're not helping me at all. So he said, you have no understanding. And then he said, you have no compassion. You know, they, if you read through their answers and, and their indictments against Job, they were quick to rebuke and they would not listen. There was no hearing in, in anything. They were unable to hear what Job was saying to them. They didn't show compassion to the pain. Job would say, listen, I don't think you know what I'm going through. And they say, you're going through your, the results of your sin. It's just what you're dealing with. Are we not that way many times? How often do we have compassion on someone who's legitimately being punished for their sin? Or do we look at them and say, yep, you made your bed, now sleep in it. Isn't that our attitude many times? Not much compassion. Job says, you know what? When it comes around and somebody else is in my shoes, my words are going to, I'm going to try to lift them up. I want to go and see if I can take away some of their grief. Now, he wasn't there for his sin, but many times we are. And how often do fellow Christians have sympathy and understanding? You know, if there's a, if there's a lack of compassion when someone else is going through some kind of grief, whether it's punishment for sin, and we know that God punishes those that are His, so we praise the Lord for His correction. But no matter the circumstances, if I don't have compassion, then I've just put myself up on a podium above them. Yeah, they deserve that. And I knew it was coming. I'm glad God's correcting that or reprobate. And I've lifted myself up in pride. And there's a big old beam sticking out of my eye. It's time that I go to God and say, remove this pride and blindness from my heart so that I can go and get down on my knees and say, Lord, help me to help them. How often do we have compassion? Go to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs 18 13 through 24. 
Verse 13 says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. That goes back to the understanding. If you have no understanding of the matter, keep your mouth shut. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear? The heart of the prudent getteth knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. A man's gift maketh room for him, and bringeth him before great men. He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but the neighbor cometh and searcheth him out. The lot causeth contentions to cease, and parteth between the mighty. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Think about that right there. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. Now we know the Bible says it is impossible, but that offenses will come. And the Bible also says, I love thy law. Uh, They that love thy law will not be offended by anything. So Christian, I shouldn't be offended. But I shouldn't be offensive either. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. We can tell the truth, but we need to tell it in love and in compassion and and in some self-awareness. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. That verse is a powerful verse as well. Here's the power of the tongue. Death and life are in it. You know, it says in James, this is, this, is a, this is a member that no man can tame. And so the things that I say, I can either build up or I can kill with the tongue. And if I love it, I'm going to eat the fruit thereof. If I get some pride in my life and enjoy the result of my tongue, I start loving myself and the things that I can say and the power that it gives me then I'm going to eat the fruit of it. God says you'll be punished for that. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. It's interesting me as I go through Job, you, you, I mean Proverbs, as you read through here and you see, it seems like some verses are just thrown in there. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Okay, we're speaking about what a person says. A brother offended is harder than one than a strong city. Then, whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing. And obtain the favor of the Lord. I always stop and I look at my sons when we are reading Proverbs in the morning. I say, you find favor of God when you find a wife that is godly. And then I look at the daughters and I say, when you are a wife, be an edifying, godly wife. And a blessing to your husband. You know, this this relationship is thrown in here because we deal with one another more than we deal with anyone else. And you know what? We have less compassion sometimes for our spouse than anyone else. Man, she's just driving me crazy. Right? In our flesh, we're going to say something stupid more often to our spouse than to anyone else. If we don't control this member by the Holy Spirit, this member that you and I cannot control of our own. I don't want you asking Elizabeth what stupid things I've said. She would be like, 
Just pick one. It's a long list. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And when we found a, a wife, it's a blessing from God. It's a blessing from God that's unparalleled. Besides salvation, there's nothing more important in our life. He that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I'm sorry, I skipped the poor useth entreaties, but the rich answereth roughly. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You know how many times we are just like Eliphaz and we are quick to rebuke and we will not listen. Because we love the power of our tongue and we can bring some accusations against someone and it lifts me up above them, in my own mind anyway. I feel better about myself because I've corrected someone else. No compassion in what we do. Matt, in his message this morning, said that he was preaching to himself. And it's it's absolutely true. Every time a person stands up here to preach, they're preaching to themselves. And I, I, I don't know how many of you need this message, but I know that I do. To have compassion for one another and for those who are suffering. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 through 35. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. Think about this circumstance. Excuse me. He's deeply in debt. And he has no way of paying. So the only thing that can be done is they are all sold into slavery. Him, his wife, his children, and everything that he had. This man is lost at all. There's no hope. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. It's an amazing turnaround right here, right? It's our salvation. It's picturing our salvation. I have no way of paying the debt of sin. And it's going to cost me my all. But I fell down before the Lord and I said, forgive me. And he had compassion, forgave the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servant saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servants, even as I have had, even as I had pity on thee? 
And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your heart forgive not every one his brother their trespass. I was looking at this passage in, cons- in, the, in the context of compassion. Now we are to forgive and at every time forgive. There's no way I can ever forgive more than God has forgiven me. That debt was far greater. And I, and I owe nothing. But in the area of compassion... The Lord looked upon him and had compassion because of his plight. Forgiveness is having compassion. Forgiveness is having the mind of Christ. I don't see forgiveness with Eliphaz. I see see judgment. I see a man who's standing there just railing on him. How often do we go to someone and they could say afterwards, Though I speak, my grief is not assuaged, and though I forbear, what am I eased? I've spent this time with you, and you've, you've been of no help to me. He had miserable counselors. How often do we approach a circumstance with zero understanding to what's really going on, And even worse, no compassion for those involved. So easy to be judgmental and and quick to our assessment when there's pride in our life and we're not walking in the mind of Christ. I want to be one who lifts people up. I want to be an edifier. That's God's command. That's what we're to do for one another in the church. You're secondary reason for being here after bringing glory to God and be obedient to Him is to edify one another. Are we miserable counselors or do we have some compassion? Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You, Lord, for the examples in Your Word. And Father, help us to have love one for another. The Bible says if I if I can speak with the tongue of men and angels, yet I have not charity. I'm a tinkling brass and a sounding symbol. Lord, I, I'm useless without the love of Christ. I'm just noise without You. Lord, give us that compassion this week to edify, to lift up, to seek to be a blessing to everyone we're around. Lord, for Your honor and for for that individual's good. Lord, give us compassion this week. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the day. Father, watch over us this week as we go out into the world. Help us to be light and salt to everyone that we're around. For your honor and your glory, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here. You are dismissed.